you're visiting us this morning, I'm glad that you're here. Over the last few weeks, we've been uh, really focusing on the absolute core of the message of the Bible, uh, uh, God's message to us, which is something we call the gospel. The gospel is good news about a big problem, okay? The problem is we're terrible people. That's a problem. We do bad things. We mess up. We fall short of God's plan and what God wants from us. We, we violate the things that God wants us to do. We sin. That's the biblical word. We sin. And so our, our souls are sort of marred by sin. But God loves us. But his place, his kingdom, and he, they are holy. He is holy. He's perfect. He's just. He's righteous. And we're messed up. But he loves us. But we're messed up. But he's holy. Um, have you ever seen Monsters, Inc.? There's a show. Okay, it's a, it's a movie. So there's this, uh, there are these monsters, and they live in like Monster World or something, right? And they uh, have doors that they use to go into little kids' rooms to scare them at night. It's a great movie, right? Okay. Um, and so there's the human world, and there's the monster world. Well, there's this scene where one of the monsters comes back after successfully scaring some little kid, and they close the door and be like, another successful scare. And then he turns around. He's got a kid's sock on his back. Well, they're so afraid of the kids that they don't allow anything from the kid world to come into the... Mo- in fact, that's the whole point of the movie is that there actually is a kid that ends up in the monster world. That's the whole movie, okay? I, I, mean, I hope I'm not ruining it for you, okay? Um, but this monster comes back through... I'm, I'm going to get to the gospel. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> So this monster comes back in. He's got this sock on him. And they're like, he's like, code 23, code 23. And this monster goes, what are you talking about? And he goes, ah, and he just got this sock. It's just a sock. And so all of these people and like monsters in hazmat suits, they come out and they like pin him down and they've got all of this stuff going on. Uh, they grab the sock with like a big piece of like, uh, like a fireplace tongs sort of thing, right? And they, and they grab the sock and they, they move it and then they cover it with a dome and they bolt it to the floor and then they like light a piece of dynamite or something under it and it goes, and then they pick it up and they sweep it away. They vacuum it into this like special tank and they're like, oh, and this monster goes, so I'm glad that's over. And then they put this big uh, curtain up around and this happens in like six seconds. It's faster than it's taking me to tell you, okay? I should have just showed you. Um, and then this like tarp sort of comes up and this shower sprays down like a, he has to go through decontamination so they're scrubbing him and then all of a sudden you see all this fur from this monster it comes flying up they're shaving him and then he gets done and he's like and then they take this like they take like a wax strip and they and he goes ah and he's just terrible okay so anyway my point is that that Jesus is like a decontamination process for us so that we can go to heaven. Because heaven is perfect, and God does not allow sin there. So what does he do with you? Well, he sent Jesus to, to pay for sin on the cross, to suffer for the things that we did, so that he, who was injured by our transgressions, he could forgive us because he was the one that was hurt. So he offers us forgiveness to clean our soul so that we can go to heaven. That's the gospel. That's good news. 
that's great news. Because without Jesus, we're destined for not being through the clean process and not getting into heaven. We're destined to stay apart from God forever, which the Bible calls hell. And we believe that that's news worth sharing. Amen? Amen. That there is, a, there is a way for you to get your heart right with God, that Jesus provides that on the cross. And for everyone who believes in the name of the Lord, for all who call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says you will be saved and forgiven for everything that you've ever done. People need to know. We have to tell them. If we know, we have to tell them. It is our responsibility. And we are unashamed, unashamed of the cross. We are unashamed of the message of the gospel because it, has, it is the power to save all who believe. Amen? There is nothing more important that people need to know. It's not just a matter of life and death. It's a matter of eternal life and eternal death. So we're unashamed of that. We want to share it with people. And that's what we've been really talking about over the last few weeks is what is the gospel? What are the parts of the gospel? Uh, how do you share? What does it sound like to share it? Um, and and, and you know, what does it look like? Because it is our responsibility to tell them. Last week, our youth pastor, Bruce, he did a great job coming up here uh, and preaching about Christ's role when we share the gospel, right? That your responsibility is to share, but after you share, it's Jesus' responsibility what, whatever happens after that, because evangelism, that's what we call share, the process of sharing the gospel. Evangelism is an act of faithfulness to share, not fruitfulness because of what happens. If you lead someone to Jesus, it is not a notch in your belt. You don't get any credit for it. In fact, you stand back and say, praise Jesus that I was able to, to be a part of that. In the same way, if you share the gospel and someone goes, I don't believe that stuff, it is not on you. You are not to blame for that because it's an act of faithfulness, not fruitfulness. The fruitfulness part, that is, that is God's business. That's not something that we are responsible for. This morning, I want to put your mind at ease. Like, I hope that that put your mind at ease last week, that you're not responsible for how people respond to the gospel well, this week, I want to do something similar, because I think when we think about evangelism, we have, an, uh, we have an image in our mind of what it looks like to be an evangelist. What does it look like to be an evangelist? Logan, show them what an evangelist looks like in my mind. And you think, that's not me, right? I, don't, I can't do that. Well, that's, first of all, that's literally not me, Okay. But you also think, that's not, that's not my style. That's not sort of, I, I don't know. If, I ha- if that's what you have to be to share the gospel, I don't know that I could do that. Well, that's probably not you, and it doesn't have to be. Because as Christians, we're all called to share the gospel, but we're also all made differently. So if you'd like to follow along this morning, I'm going to be uh, preaching from a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, Starting in verse 14, if you're using the Bibles that are under the chairs, they're red. It's on page 959. Go ahead and turn there. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 
And we'll have everything up on the screen. I know we ran out of bulletins this morning, and I'm sorry about that, but uh, we'll have everything uh, up on the screen for you. This is what the Apostle Paul says about the church, about us. Starting in verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. She's talking about a body. A body doesn't have just one like body part. It doesn't just have one arm. You're not a body full of arms, okay? Um, you have lots of different parts. So for the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, first of all, you would be in Monsters, Inc. Okay? But if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful. Because I'm looking at you, and I can see you, and you're all different from what I can see. And the things that I can't see make you even more different from each other. You're different in different ways, and that's awesome because God designed the church to be like that. God designed the church to have old people and young people, to have introverts and to have extroverts, to have big people and small people, to have uh, really engaging, outgoing people, and to have people who are really shy, to have people that are good at, at finances, to have people who are good at greeting, to have people who are good at, at serving and doing work in the church, to have people who are really friendly and to have people who are grumpy but are working on it. It's, it's the, the, the diversity. So here's the point. God designed us with diversity. It's how he meant it to be. He designed us with diversity. And for the purpose of what we're talking about, which is the gospel, we use that diversity when we're sharing the gospel. You don't have to be Billy Graham. Can I get an Amen. You don't have to be Billy Graham. That, there's freedom there, right? You don't have to be dude with the Bible who's standing there in a suit pointing at you like Uncle Sam. You don't have to be that guy. God designed you a way, and he wants you to use that to honor him, especially when we share the gospel. And so the idea here is that there isn't a place in the Bible where it says that... Uh, there's a particular kind of Christian who's supposed to spread this message of good news. There isn't a particular kind. Now, there are people, uh, the Bible says, whose gift from the Holy Spirit is to be really good at evangelism. And those are the kinds of people that we think about and we go, yeah, but I'm not, I'm not that guy. I'm not that lady. I, I, I'm not, I don't have what they have. But you have something else that they don't have. And, and it's all of us together. It's this sort of harmony of different people in different styles and different ways that's really beautiful when it all comes together. You really don't have to be a gifted evangelist to do evangelism. There is a way for you to share the gospel 
in a way that makes sense for you. And if that weren't true, Jesus wouldn't have told all of the disciples and all of his followers to go and make disciples. Okay, so this morning I want to take this idea of diversity in evangelism, and I want to take it on a walk. I want to find, we're going to look at some biblical examples of different ways, different styles of sharing the gospel. This, this morning we're going to look at three, and then actually next week we're going to look at three other ones. So we're going to do three today and three next week, and I'm hoping that you see yourself somewhere in these styles. Before we get to the actual styles, let me just be clear. Sharing the gospel, I, I've heard people say that, uh, uh, gosh, there's some sort of a silly quote, and may, I'm going to call it silly, and you're going to be offended, but that's okay, that share the gospel and, some, and use words if you need to. Have you ever heard that? Or use words when needed? Okay. Um, sharing the gospel is always going to need words. It's just always going to need words, okay? Giving someone a cup of water is great. Giving them a cup of water in the name of Jesus, there you go, right? Now we're talking. Um, So it's not actually doing evangelism unless you put some sort of words to it. Because all of the Christians in all of the world could be doing all of maximally nice things for people. And if they never say that they're doing them because Jesus loves you, (laughs) do you know what I mean? Um... That, well, you can't share the gospel without actually sharing the gospel. Okay, so uh, the styles that we're going to talk about are, are really ways of getting to the conversation. Does that make sense? They're ways of accessing that conversation. They're not, uh, uh, yeah, so they're, they're ways of getting there. Okay, let's look at the first one. I bet you're familiar with this one. We're going to call it Confrontational. Okay, you don't know, there's six that I'm, and I actually got this uh, several years ago. There was some sort of a uh, resource someone gave me. For the life of me, I can't remember what it was. I would give credit where it's due, but uh, I don't, I actually think they stole it from someone else anyway. So, um, but the first one um, is called confrontational. Uh, If you think that you're confrontational in your evangelism style, just give me a little, just give me, yeah, yeah. I knew it. I knew it. So um, this is the aggressive evangelist. This is this maybe street preacher, the sidewalk walking tract pusher, which is good in their own way. Uh, This is a sudden and bold kind of evangelism. And it's unfortunate, actually, that this type of evangelism gets a bad reputation because it can be abused. It can be abused. It can come across as judgmental. It could come across as angry. But it's the style we find in the Bible. In Acts 2, Peter uses this style when in public, after the Holy Spirit came and got everyone's attention, here's what Peter said in Acts chapter 2. He's standing there in public and everyone's looking at him because something just happened. And Logan, give me the passage. Logan, change the slide. Thank you, sir. Okay. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, you can see him finger pointing, can't you? As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, 
you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This is confrontational, bold, sudden evangelism. And it's biblical. And it's good. If you prefer to address things directly, if you don't like beating around the bush, if you tend to push truth, even if it's going to hurt somebody, this might be your style. Cool. Run with it. Do it. But I do it with love and do it with compassion. But be bold if this is your style. Maybe it's not your style. Okay, so let's look at number two. The second style we're calling intellectual. This is the debating evangelist. The, the bookworm, analytical, tell me your questions kind of evangelist. And we read about Paul using this style to access a gospel conversation in Acts chapter 17 while he was in Athens. So we're going to go to Acts 17, starting in verse 18. Um, this is what got Paul invited to speak at uh, what's called the Areopagus, which we'll talk about just for a second. But here's in, in verse 18. It says, Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, that's Paul. And some said, What does this babbler wish to say? Others said, He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Okay? Now, if you're having a conversation with uh, Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, you're probably already uh, aware that you're more of an intellectual type of engaging in a gospel conversation, right? How many of you are interested in engaging in a spiritual conversation with Epicurean and Stoic philosophers? I'm all about that life, man. That's where I I live right there, okay? Um, The passage itself is too long for us to, to really go through, but Paul was saying some really interesting things in philosophical circles about uh, spirituality and divinity and gods and resurrection and life and the purpose of life. And he got invited to speak to the philosophers at their big assembly. And Paul challenged them philosophically. And it worked. In verse 32 of of chapter 17, it says that some mocked him, but others said, we want to hear more. Tell us more. Paul's engaging in in an intellectual conversation that he uses to talk about Jesus, to talk about the gospel. If you enjoy discussing difficult questions, if you enjoy logic, if your biggest pet peeve in life is bad arguments, just let me see who you are. Just let me see who you are. Yes, 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 my people. 
My people. Oh, my gosh. Okay. You might be more of an intellectual style in your evangelism. But maybe not. Maybe not. So let's go on to number three, the third one. We're calling that serving. Serving. Now, this is an interesting way of accessing the conversation. This is the loving, helpful, friendly, uh, possibly shy evangelist. Every style has a downside, right? The confrontational downside is that you might hurt someone's feelings, right? You might come across as unloving. The intellectual downside is that you're just arguing about stuff. You know, where do you actually get to the point? It's It's all an argument. The downside to serving is that you might not actually get to the point where you share the gospel, where you put words to it, because it's, it's harder to do. On the other hand, it's probably the, the style, the example that we find Jesus using the most. Think about how many times in the Bible Jesus is, uh, he performs a miracle. He does something, a healing, or he feeds tons of people. And then he uses that to say, come and follow me. Come and follow me. So Jesus does this a lot. Hey, throw your nets over on the other side of the boat. Catch all those fish. You're welcome. Come Come around. Let's go. Uh, But the example that I want to use this morning uh, from the Bible comes from Paul's letter to the Roman Christians. This is uh, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 17. We'll have to talk about this for a minute. But he's writing to the, the Christians in Rome, and he tells them, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Don't, don't do evil when people do evil to you, but give thought to do what's honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord. Vengeance and and getting people back, that is not your job. To the contrary, Paul writes, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We need to talk about that phrase, um, by doing so, by doing good things, you will heap burning coals on his head. That's uh, that's a saying. So we have a similar saying in uh, American English, which is uh, uh, to light a fire under someone, right? If I said I'm going to, uh, this week I'm going to try to light a fire under John, what am I saying about John? I'm going to try to get him to hurry up, right? I'm going to try to get him to move. If I light a fire under someone, make him jump, right? Okay, so it's, it's really similar here, the idea of, of heaping burning coals on someone's head. That's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. It sounds like a bad thing because this is like 2,000 years ago in, in, in the Middle East, right? Um, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If they're thirsty, give him something to drink. Don't do evil for evil. Don't hurt. Live at peace with people. Overcome evil. Evil with good. 
So this is, uh, heaping burning coals is not, a, is not a bad thing. It is a thing that is meant to cause a response, particularly what kind of response? A response of repentance. A response that moves someone away from evil and toward good. That's the idea, is that we want to be an example. And this is the serving style of evangelism, is to do such good for people that they're drawn toward it. Instead of hurting people, instead of fighting back, you, you do such good that people say, why are you doing that for me? Why would you help me like that? Uh, I'm doing nothing but, but, but uh, giving you hardship. Uh, why would you care about me this way? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to brag on uh, my friend Dukes for a minute, if it's okay. So Dukes uh, is getting baptized later today. And he, uh, a couple of weeks ago, wrote a prayer request, which went out to our prayer team. And you're okay if I share this. He said, he, one of the things he said in his prayer request was, uh, pray for the people who don't want any good for me. And I'm like, what's more Jesus than that? That is so beautiful because there isn't a part of us that says, you know what, I, you know, pray for the people. I, I want to help out the people who, are, who, are, who just want bad things from me. That can only come from Christ, amen? And so the idea here is that if you do that and you do those things in the name of Jesus, that will give you access to a conversation about why. Why would you help me like that? Why would you go out of your way to support me, to serve me? And then you can say, because Jesus went out of his way to serve me. Why would you be that generous with me? Because Jesus has been generous with me. I almost can't help it. The hard thing is remembering to put words to it. Remembering to put words to it. But what's beautiful when you think about all three of those styles, you think about all of them working together, there's a chance that you will never see what happens in someone's heart when you share the gospel. So I'll give you an example, just in the three styles. Someone is bold in sharing the gospel. They're confrontational in sharing the gospel with a particular person. And then they leave thinking nothing really happened. And then someone else comes and engages with them on, a, on an intellectual level about Jesus. And then they leave. And then someone else comes along and serves them in the name of Jesus. And now what you're seeing is that one person didn't need to show them all of those things. Three people showed them different looks at the same thing, which is what, what Jesus is for us, who he is and what he means for us. And that's beautiful, right? Because one person singing a song could be great, but three people singing with harmony together, that could be glorious. And so what I'm trying to encourage you to do is to think about sharing the gospel and to think about sharing the gospel in a way that makes sense for you. Maybe it's one of these three. Maybe it's not. We'll look at three more next week. But there is a way for you to share the gospel without, without breaking the bank. Do you know what I mean? There is a way for you to share the gospel in a way that God's designed you 
to do it. If you prefer to be behind the scenes, this might be your style. If you notice needs in people's lives, this serving style might be your style. But what's really beautiful is that we really don't know what's happening in someone's life. So let me give you an example. Actually, I'll give you the example later. What I want to do right now is, I believe that God is moving in everyone's life all the time. I believe that God is moving in your life right now. All the time, God is doing something in your life that's drawing you toward him, to look at him, to see him, to understand him. God is doing something in your life right now. And guess what? He's doing something in your neighbor's life right now. I don't just mean the person sitting next to you. I mean the person who lives next door to you, the person who lives across the street from you. God is doing something in everyone's life all the time. Amen? All the time. What he needs you to do is to put a word to it, to put words to it, to open your mouth and say something. You don't have to walk up to someone and say, so, what do you think about Stoic philosophy? (laughs) So, I have a question for you. Where, Where do you stand on resurrection, right? You don't have to walk up to someone and say, hey, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? You don't have to. You can, but you don't have to. There's a way that makes sense for you. What Jesus wants us to do, and this goes back to last week, what what Bruce was preaching, he just needs you to open your mouth and say something. He'll use it. He'll use it. And you don't know how he'll use it. You're going to think almost 100% of the time that you were a failure in sharing the gospel because you don't see what's going on. Amen? You just don't see it. So as I close, I actually want to share a video with you. And it's a little bit long, but it's worth it. Um, uh, As we get started with the video, if you're getting baptized, uh, I want you to get ready. You can come back here to the back. There's a a couple rooms back here where you can get changed. But if you're getting baptized and you need to change, come on back, right back here. Robert will help you out. Uh, This video is going to give you, hopefully, a picture of this idea that God is doing things. If you're faithful to listen to him and open your mouth and say something, Jesus will use that, even if you don't think. Even if you don't think it's worth it, it's worth a shot, it's worth trying. Okay, be faithful to share. All right, Logan, you turn turn off the lights, play the movie. This message is non-copyright. Duplication is encouraged. A number of years ago, in a Baptist church in Crystal Palace in southern London, the Sunday morning service was closing, and a stranger stood up at the back, raised his hand, he said, Excuse me, Pastor, can I share a little testimony? The pastor looked at his watch, he said, You've got three minutes. And this man proceeded. He said, I've just moved into this area. I used to live in another part of London. I came from Sydney in Australia, and just a few months back I was visiting some relatives, 
and I was walking down George Street. You know where George Street is in Sydney? It runs from the business hub out to the rocks, the colonial area. And he said, a strange little white-haired man stepped out of a shop doorway, put a pamphlet in my hand, and he said, excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I was astounded by those words. Nobody had ever told me that. I thanked him courteously, and all the way on British Airlines, back to Heathrow, this puzzled me. I called a friend who lived in this new area, where I'm living now, and thank God he was a Christian. He led me to Christ, and I'm a Christian, and I want a fellowship here. And Baptists love testimonies like it. Everyone applauded and welcomed him into the fellowship. That Baptist pastor flew to Adelaide in Australia the next week, and ten days later, in the middle of a three-day series in a Baptist church in Adelaide, a woman came to him for counseling, and he wanted to establish where she stood with Christ. And she said, I used to live in Sydney. And just a couple of months back, I was visiting friends in Sydney, doing some last-minute shopping down George Street, and a strange little white-haired man, elderly man, stepped out of a shop doorway, offered me a pamphlet, and said, Excuse me, ma'am, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? She said, I was disturbed by those words. When I got back to Adelaide, I knew this Baptist church was on the next block from me, and I sought out the pastor, and he led me to Christ. So, sir, I'm telling you that I am a Christian. Now, this London pastor was now very puzzled. Twice, within a fortnight, he'd heard the same testimony. He then flew to preach in the Mount Pleasant Baptist Church in Perth. And when his teaching series was over, the senior elder of that church took him out for a meal. And he said, mate, how'd you get saved? He said, I grew up in this church from the age of 15 through Boys Brigade. Never made a commitment to Jesus, just hopped on the bandwagon like everybody else. And because of my business ability, grew up to a place of influence. I was on a business outing in Sydney just three years ago, and an obnoxious, spiteful little man stepped out of a stop shop doorway, offered me a religious pamphlet, cheap junk, and accosted me with a question. Excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I tried to tell him I was a Baptist elder. He wouldn't listen to me. He said, I was seething with anger all the way home on Qantas to, to Perth. He said, I told my pastor, thinking he would sympathize with me, and my pastor agreed. He had been disturbed for years, knowing that I didn't have a relationship with Jesus, and he was right. And my pastor led me to Jesus just three years ago. Now, this London preacher flew back to the UK and was speaking at the Keswick Convention in the Lake District. And he threw in these three testimonies. At the close of his teaching session, four elderly pastors came up and said, we got saved between 25 and 35 years ago, respectively, through that little man on George Street giving us a tract and asking us that question. He then flew the following week to a similar Keswick Convention in the Caribbean to missionaries. And he shared the testimonies. At the close of his teaching session, three missionaries came up and said, we got saved between 15 and 25 years ago, respectively, through that little man's testimony and asking us that same question on George Street in Sydney. Coming back to London, he stopped outside Atlanta, Georgia, to speak at a naval chaplain's convention. And when his three days of revving these naval chaplains up, over a thousand of them, in soul winning, the chaplain general took him out for a meal. And he said, how do you become a Christian? He said, well, it was miraculous. I was a rating on a United States battleship, and I lived a reprobate life. We were doing exercises in the South Pacific, and we docked in Sydney Harbor for replenishments. We hit King's Cross with a vengeance. I got blind drunk. I got on the wrong bus, got off in George Street, and... <laughs> I got off the bus, I thought it was a ghost. This elderly, white-haired man jumped in front of me, pushed a pamphlet in my hand and said, Sailor, are you saved? If you die tonight, you're going to heaven. He said, the fear of God hit me immediately. I was shocked, sober, and ran back to the battleship, sought out the chaplain. The chaplain led me to Christ. 
And I soon began to prepare for the ministry under his guidance, and here I am in charge of over a thousand chaplains, and we're bent on soul winning today. That London preacher, six months later, flew to do a convention for 5,000 Indian missionaries in a remote corner of northeastern India, and at the end, the Indian missionary in charge, a humble little man, took him home to his humble little home for a simple meal. And he said, how did you, as a Hindu, come to Christ? He said, I was in a very privileged position. I worked for the Indian diplomatic mission. And I traveled the world. And I am so glad for the forgiveness of Christ and his blood covering my sin because I'd be very embarrassed if people found out what I got into. He said, one bout of diplomatic service took me to Sydney. And I was doing some last-minute shopping laden with parcels of toys and clothing for my children, walking down George Street. And this courteous little white-haired man stepped out in front of me, offered me a pamphlet, and said, Excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I thanked him very much, but this disturbed me. I got back to my town, I sought out the Hindu priest, and he couldn't help me. But he gave me some advice. He said, just to satisfy your curious mind, nothing else. Go and talk to the missionary in the mission house at the end of the road. And that was fatal advice. He said, because that day the missionary led me to Christ, I quit Hinduism immediately, and then began to study for the ministry. I left the diplomatic service, and here I am, by God's grace, in charge of all these missionaries, and we are winning hundreds of thousands of people to Christ. Well, eight months later... That Crystal Palace Baptist pastor was ministering in Sydney, in Gymea, southern suburb of Sydney. And he said to the Baptist minister, Do you know a little man, an elderly little man, who witnesses and hands out tracts on George Street? And he said, I do. His name is Mr. Genor, G-E-N-O-R. But I don't think he does it anymore. He's too frail and elderly. The man said, I want to meet him. Two nights later, they went around to this little apartment, knocked on the door, and this tiny, frail little man opened the door. He sat them down, made them some tea, and he was so frail he was slopping tea into the saucer as he shook. And as he sat with them, this London preacher told him all these accounts over the previous three years. This little man sat with tears running down his cheeks. He said, my story goes like this. He said, I was a rating on an Australian warship, and I lived a reprobate life, and in a crisis, I really hit the wall, and one of my colleagues whom I gave literal hell was there to help me. He led me to Jesus, and the change in my life was night to day in 24 hours. And I was so grateful to God. I promised God that I would share Jesus in a simple witness with at least 10 people a day. As God gave me strength. Sometimes I was ill, I couldn't do it, but I made up for it for other times. I wasn't paranoid about it, but I have done this for over 40 years. And in my retirement years, the best place was on George Street. There were hundreds of people. I got lots of rejections. But a lot of people courteously took the tracts. And he said, in 40 years of doing this, I've never heard of one single person coming to Jesus until today. Do you know, I would say that has to be commitment. That has to be just sheer gratitude and love for Jesus to do that. Not hearing of any results. Margarita did a little count. That's 146,100 people. That simple little non-charismatic Baptist man influenced somehow to Jesus. And I believe what God was showing that Baptist minister was the tip of the tip of the tip of the tip of this iceberg. Goodness knows how many more had been arrested for Christ and were doing huge jobs out in the mission field. Mr. Genor died two weeks later. And can you imagine the reward he went home to in heaven? I doubt if his face would ever have appeared on Charisma magazine 
I doubt if there would ever have been a write-up with a photograph in Billy Graham's Decision magazine, as beautiful as those magazines are. Nobody except a little group of Baptists in southern Sydney knew about Mr. Gennel. But I'll tell you, his name was famous in heaven. Heaven knew Mr. Gennel. And you can imagine the welcome and the red carpet and the fanfare he went home to when he arrived in glory. Isn't it amazing how one little spark can light a fire and change not just one person's life, but hundreds? Isn't that amazing? Um, we're going to be preparing to take our offering at this time. If you're a guest, please don't feel like you need to give. This is an opportunity for our church um, to give to to our ministries here and to further what we're doing. Um, so just take a moment, listen to uh, the music Don has prepared for us, and um, reflect on...